would like for you to open your Bible this morning to Psalm 76 for a moment. We'll begin there. Psalm 76 and verse 1. Before I read that, I'd like to make a few comments about the last two or three weeks we've been on the subject of uniqueness, that is, themes and terms and words about God that describe his uniqueness. And, of course, by unique, we mean there's nobody else like that. If you describe God's ability, nobody else can do what God does. God can make promises that he can fulfill. God can make promises that nobody else can fulfill because he is God. He is unlimited. We saw that about the uniqueness of God's ability. Last time we talked about the uniqueness of God's presence, how that he can at all times be everywhere. He doesn't have to go anywhere to be there. He's always there because God is spirit. And then we talked about God's knowledge. There is nothing that can be known that God doesn't know it immediately. He doesn't have to think about an answer. Even the psalmist said he knows all the stars by name. And we're told that there are more stars than there are grains of sand on the sea, and he knows them all by name and doesn't have to hesitate to tell you what that one's name is. He knows everything at all times, from the sparrow that falls to the ground to the hairs on your head or the hairs you used to have, to all things he knows it. There is nothing he doesn't know. Now, I believe that the design of all of this, the reason God puts these things in the Bible and shows them to us or brings a messenger along to point this out to us is so that we can begin to see who he is. I think a lot of people are saved by a stranger. I don't think they really know who the Lord is. They know about him. They've heard all the stories, but people like stories better than they like teaching. They like you to tell little stories and make them laugh or happy and then go on. But God wants to instruct his people and teach his people about who he is. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me because he wants you to know who he is. In Ezekiel 11, God said he would put in his people a new heart and a new spirit and he would cause them to walk in his ways and keep his commandments and do what he wants them to do. And he said, so shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And I believe that when you draw nigh to God, God begins to let you know who he is. And as he begins to describe himself in all of these omnis, omniscience and omnipotence, if you will take your time and listen and think and not just assume it's another morning, it'll be over after an hour. If you will listen and seize the moment and apply your heart and your mind to what you hear for the little bit of time that you hear, or to redeem the time, and let God begin to show you things about who he is, and then notice how you act in contrast to that. God said he'll take care of all your needs, and yet we fuss and we fume and we're worried and we talk and we complain about that. So many things that he says that he will do, and yet we live like we're not sure he'll do anything. I think the reason is because we don't know him. We know about him. We could pass a test if somebody gave us a test about Bible stories, but we don't know him. It's not personal. It's not a relationship. It's not something whereby, remember Jesus said in John 14, I think it's verse 21, if you have his word and you keep it, he ends that verse by saying, the Father and I will reveal ourselves to him. Now, that should change anybody's life. That's why some of these songs, Bonnie and I were driving up the road to a place the other night where I was going to speak on Friday night, and, and there was a song going on, and we were listening to it. And she said, how can you listen to that song and not just get excited about it? Because it means something. And the only reason it means something to us now, and it didn't mean something to us in the days before Christ, is they were just words about a God I didn't know. The Christian God, you know, church God. But when you meet him and he begins to show you who he is and you get revelations of that to your heart and you begin to see this is who God is. This is what he does. Wow, praise God. Whom should I fear then? Of what should I be afraid? If he is for me, <laughs> 
Who's against me? This is the kind of knowledge that sets people free. You shall know things like this. Not know about it. You shall know it. It shall become your very thoughts and your very life. And it makes you free. Because all the things that you used to clamor about have all been replaced by the truth of God's word. And your heart settles itself that if God can do that, if God can perform that, who am I to act like he won't? And we begin to live faithfully to God. It becomes the very avenue by which faith is formed in our hearts because faith comes by hearing and hearing about somebody you really want to walk with. Now, in Psalm 76, this morning I want to not deal with another omni, but I want to deal with another aspect of how God reveals himself to us and the effect it should have on us. In Psalm 76 and verse 1, there's many verses you could use. I just selected this one because it's short. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. Now, there is something about knowing God and knowing him by the names that are attached to him, the way he is described by names. There are many Hebrew words that are translated to describe God. You've all heard the word Adonai, Elohim, and then Yahweh, or some use Jehovah, and other words, lesser words that are used. And all of these words have a meaning. They all describe some aspect of God. Elohim you know, is a word which they say it was derived from an Arab word which has to do with worship. And he is the one and the only one in his uniqueness, who deserves and is worthy of worship. And when you use that word, you use it with the idea of the most worshipful one. As we study this in the English language, as we learn words as they were brought forth in the Hebrew, we begin to see that God uses names to alert us and to show us who he is. In Exodus chapter 3, as you know the story of Moses and the Exodus, Moses at the burning, but who are you? And God said, I am. And like you, I would say, well, but what's your name? He said, you go tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. It's interesting that the Hebrew word from which you get I am, Hava, which simply means to exist, to be, the one who exists. He is. There's nothing more you can say about it. And he says, I am the eternal forever existing one. There is no beginning with me. There's no end to me. I am. I just am. I was trying to ponder this the other day about the origins and the beginnings. There's no such thing with God, but, you know, your mind as a human being with the limited understanding you have, it tries to figure all of that out. It's good to think about God and to search out things in the heavenlies, but God simply says, I am. And you tell Pharaoh that the I am sent you. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 91. Because names mean a lot in Scripture. And today, the names that God describes himself by are given to us to tell us what we can expect from God. Now, we know he's all-powerful and all-knowledge. and all. Those are general terms to describe the vastness and the bigness of God. But his names become specific things that he can do. Notice concerning names in the 91st Psalm, the first two verses. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress and my God, and in him will I trust. Now, there are four names here, four different Hebrew words describing one God. He said, the Most High God, in the secret place of the Most High God, is the word Elyon. Now, many times in the Bible, E-L, L is a word that has to do with God. The word many times in the Bible where events happen or some wonderful moment happened, wrestling with an angel or building an altar at Bethel, house of God, city of God, 
El was used in a lot of ways to describe God. It was even used in names, Joel. And Joel was a name that says, my God is, and then the Hebrew word for God. Or Elijah, E-L-I-Yah. And J-A-H was also a name for God. We just say, just call it Yah. Some spell it Y-A-H, some spell it J-A-H. But it simply means that God is my God, Elijah. All through the Bible, you look at names, you can find a lot of things. Daniel, Daniel was a word that has to do with God because when they were given these names, the names had meaning. And a name is an important thing. Say a family name that was good in this town, it just commands respect because of those who went before people, their fathers, their mothers, well-to-do or kind, whatever they did, or some great athlete or some great politician. And their children come along, and because they carry the same name, they sort of get special attention. And you don't even have to have money always to buy things if you have a good name because they know you're good for it. A name is important. All you young people, let me tell you something. You carry in your parents' names wherever you go. However you act, you're representing your mother and your father and that name. If they've tried to do well with it and make it respectful, and you go out and you trash it, then you have really dishonored your parents. Because you can do that by just the way you live in opposition to the way you've been taught. I've tried to teach that to somebody once, and I don't know if they ever got it, but I said, you know, when you walk out, when you go into the world, you're taking your whole family with you, the whole bunch. If your family has a good name and you trash it, you've dishonored your whole family. I remember when I got saved. This is a different kind. When I got saved in Charlestown, Indiana, where I grew up, my brother was a famous athlete and baseball player with the Yankees. You know, he got all of that, and I didn't get any of it. But I come along, and I got saved. Not only got saved, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues of all things in a Christian church. You just don't do that. I not only spoke in tongues, I was glad about it. And I talked about it. And we would get together and sing. We would dance, have a big time. And, you know, we just, oh, boy, you just didn't do that. We raised our hand and said amen. And suddenly I got the impression from some people that, you know, you're just tearing down your family name. Everybody was so nice and lost in your family. And then here you come along, and, and now you're, you know, you're just doing all of that. And I had to consider that. I did. But I thought it is more important for me to be what God is making me than to be what was before I met God. But names are important. They really are. Let's get back to Psalm 91. He said, in the secret place of Elion, the most high one, he shall abide under the shadow of Shaddai. Sometimes we call it El Shaddai. There's a song called El Shaddai. It has to do with the all-sufficient one. And verse 2 says, and I will say of the Lord. Now, the word Lord here is the sacred word that was used for God. It was called the Tetragrammaton, and it was a sacred name. And, and they wouldn't put vowels in the name that they had for God. They just spelled God's name Y-H-W-H. And you couldn't pronounce it because there were no vowels in it. And this was for many centuries that they did that. Perhaps they did it so they couldn't violate the third commandment, you know, not taking the Lord's name in vain. But it was a sacred name. You couldn't speak it. But this is the sacred name of God. It means the eternal one, the immutable, unchanging God. And when you read this word or you saw this name, you were to realize that it describes the one who is above all, the sovereign God, who is subject to nobody, does as he pleases, when he pleases, always as he pleases and can never do anything wrong and makes no mistakes because he is God. That's who he is. That's what you get from a word which you can't pronounce but describes God. Now, today we call that name Yahweh or some use Jehovah. The word Jehovah was coined in 1518 by a priest who was the confessor or the one, the spiritual advisor to Pope Leo X. About the time of the Reformation. And he took the tetragrammaton, the Y-H-W-H, and then he took the vowels out of the word Adonai, 
and he added that to it in different spellings. Some say Jehovah, some say Yahovah and Yahweh. And depending on what school you come from, they either call it Yahweh, Yahweh, or Jehovah. But Jehovah is a hybrid word. It is a formed word. It wasn't in the Bible in the beginning. It was used in the King James Bible, which was written in, in about 100 years after this. But back to the point, words describe God. He reveals himself to us by these words. And the last word he used there was Elohim, the word for worship. So the picture was this. Here's the way all the 91st Psalm works. When you come to God, first of all, you see him as the most high God, the inaccessible one, accessible only by invitation. And when you get there, you shall abide under the shadow of Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. He lacks nothing. And in verse 2, he said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. He is my God. And he said, and in him, I will worship, I will trust, I will dedicate and commit myself to God. This is how the 91st Psalm begins with full devotion and focus upon God, who then gives you the rest of the Psalm, which should deliver you from all things. It should set you free because it's full of promises. No evil shall befall you. No plague will come nigh your dwelling. He will give his angels charge over you, and they shall keep you in all your ways. And that he can deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence and, and the arrow that flies by day. A thousand shall fall by your right hand and ten thousand this way, but it will not befall you because he is your God, the one who takes care of you. You're supposed to see that. And then not worry about all the prognostications of the perilous times that have come. And what are you going to do? Well, you're going to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Because from that place, you are safe and secure. Doesn't the Bible say the name of the Lord is a high, high tower, and the righteous runneth into it and is, it either means safe or set on high. That's a secure place with the Lord. And for most people, though, those are just words. But for us, when God shows it to you, it becomes a real thing. It's a place that God brought his people. It is a way to live with him on his terms, by his power, with his peace. And he has words to describe all of these things in the Bible. Take, for example, the word Shaddai again. In Genesis 17, 1, God appeared to Abraham, and he said this, And when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, and he said to him, I am Almighty God, I am El Shaddai. You walk with me in peace, and be thou perfect. And the indication was, I am the one who will take care of you. I'm the one who called you out of darkness, out of your father's country and all the idols and all the stuff. I called you out of that. I called you to follow me. You didn't know where you were going, but I'll take care of you. Abraham had that in his heart. He knew that. Doesn't the Bible say, my God shall supply all your need? Doesn't the Bible say that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think? One of the names that describe God, one of the ways in which God shows himself to his people is with that name, I am Shaddai. Let me show you a few words this morning. You're going to have to turn to these because I want you to see them. Another word is gyre. We sing that song a lot too, gyre. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14. You know the story about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. He said, take now thine son, thine only son, and take him to a place that I will show you, and there offer him to the Lord. That place that he offered him was where the dome of the rock, that mosque is in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah. That was the rock, they say, where Abraham took Isaac. And you know the story. Abraham said, where's the sacrifice? And he said, the Lord will provide. That's what the word Yahweh Jireh means. The Lord will provide. Now, if he could provide a lamb in the place of a son, even though you're tested to see if you will really go this far with your child 
And he even said that he knew that God, if he killed him, God made promises to his son that you're going to be a great nation. Now he said, you offer him as an offering. Well, then he'll have to raise him up because God can't lie. So Abraham, you might think how grieve-stricken he was, but the Bible says Abraham accounted that God was able to raise him from the dead. So if he's going to die, then he's going to raise him to the dead because God can't make a promise he doesn't keep. Abraham revealed his faith and his trust in God that he would go that far because he believed God. He said he was going to make my son a great nation. Therefore, if I kill him, God's going to make him alive. And he raised the knife. Stop. He said, now I know you fear me. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. And you know the story. And the picture is beautiful about how God provided a sacrificial lamb in our stead and in our place so that instead of us having to die for our sins, a lamb died for us and so forth. Well, this is what God shows us. He says, I'm the Lord who provides. Now, all of us have needs. This life is designed so you have needs. And those needs can all be met by the Lord because he said he could. God, in the greatest of difficulties, when human strength is gone, when you feel you're on your last edge, don't know what to do, Nobody seems to understand when all human assistance is vain, God will provide. Sometimes he waits until the very end. I pray with a lot of my children through the years at night, many times through the night, and nothing was better. They didn't seem to get any better. And I would remind God while I was walking through the house praying or dancing with one of my children about their fevers and stuff, and, and I would remind God, because I had hidden his word in my heart. I said, you have said. You said. I wasn't quoting it because it just, it's a memory. I mean, it was what I believed. And yet it didn't look like it was working. But obviously it did work or I wouldn't be telling this. Because God does not forsake his own. He will provide all of our needs. He said he would. Now, we may not live like he will. We may not act like he will. And we may betray our faith by the doubt talk that we have. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, I, I, I. But he doesn't change. He still stands before you as who he is. And he reveals who he is with his name. He said, I am Yahweh Jireh. I will take care of you. Philippians 419, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. No wonder he said to his disciples more than once, Oh, you of little faith, why are you talking about bread? Don't you remember how many loaves we took up and the thousands that we fed with a sack lunch? Just enough for one person. Remember how we fed thousands of people with that and took up baskets full? And you're concerned about bread. You're fussing about bread. You know what he said to them in Mark's account of that? He said, is your heart hardened? Do you not remember? Have you forgotten? I think there's a psalm that tells us that, not to forget. Isn't there a psalm that says we're not to forget all his benefits? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. That's the very thing that we whine and cry and talk about. I say we editorially. I'm not talking about you particularly. Unless, of course, you are. We fret. We listen to what the news says. We listen to what people say. You're around people all the time. People are clamoring about health and about safety and all of this stuff and, and all the governments. This and that. Yet God says to you, look, turn all that off for just a minute. I am your God. I personally will take it upon myself to provide all your needs according to my riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So put a smile on your face. Turn your little frown upside down till it looks like a smile and rejoice. And when people say, what are you rejoicing about? Just say, because my God will provide. It's a reason for rejoicing. Or take another word. 
that God reveals himself by in Exodus 15. You're real familiar with this one. Exodus 15. He knew the needs of his people were going to be great, and he knew that the problems they saw in Egypt would follow them out of there, and they would be fearful of sickness and disease. So he said this to them, Exodus 15, and verse 26. First, the condition. If thou wilt diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes... Now, that's a hearken, a do, a give ear, and a keep. Nothing you can't do and nothing here that's too hard to do or too difficult to do. It all is a matter of whether or not you're willing to do it. But if you're willing and obedient and you're willing to hearken, to do what is right in his sight, and if you will give an ear to what he is saying and keep his statutes, here's what God promises. He said, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians for one of my names that you can know me by is I am Yahweh Rophikah, or some say Rapha, or some say Rophe. There's different ways all these words are spelled. We just have to pick the one we like. I'm the Lord your doctor. There's not a hotter subject in the world right now than sickness and disease. Our country is reaching one of the most important times in its life, this young country of ours, over the health issue, health care. I'm not going to propose what to do or not to do. I just know that it's a very difficult situation. My solution would get me assassinated. <laughs> but here's the deal. There is no sickness that God cannot heal you from. There is no disease he cannot prevent from coming. There is no situation you can be in that he cannot get you out of. I don't care if it's terminal. I don't care if it's chronic or if it's passed down through the family tree and you inherited that from your forefathers or your ancestors. There is absolutely nothing concerning sickness and disease that God cannot overrule and deliver you from. Nothing. Now, I don't know if you believe that. I know you know that. I know you know those words. I don't know if you believe that. Because if you believe it, it becomes your life. Like Deuteronomy said, this word is your life. It's not a vain thing to hear what God has to say because this is your life. It's your life because it's what God does. Like the word I am, Hava, means to be. The word Chava means life. And God is our life, and he gives it to us through this word. Now, we may draw back from this word and say, well, in the natural realm, it doesn't look like it's going to work. <coughs> it doesn't feel like it's going to work. And I don't, I don't see much evidence of it working, so how do I know it's going to work? It works because God said it. It doesn't work because you read it. It doesn't work because you've heard of it. It works if you believe it. And believing is not just verbally acknowledging, I believe what God said, it's living it. It's acting like it's true. It's getting out of bed when you don't feel good. It's going to church when you have a headache. It's acting like God has healed me, and I'm going to live as though I'm healed and not act like I'm not healed, if I can. Sometimes you can't get out of bed, I know that. Sometimes you're tied down, you can't move. But you got at some point in your life, you got to act like our God will do what he said because he's revealed himself. I am your doctor. And this is a sensitive subject in the world. Because if you don't partake of the medical system in this world, if you're not on its drugs and its pills and so forth, people think you're really weird. A fellow I was with Friday night, 76, a good friend of mine years back in the early years when you didn't even have a beard yet, a long time ago. For some reason or the other, he said he had a job or something. He had to go get something looked at, checked or something. And the nurse came in with a pad and said, what kind of drugs are you taking? And he said, none. And she said, well, you're 76. He said, yes, ma'am. But he said, well, you got to be taking something. 
That's the mindset. That's the motor that runs the whole health care system. You have got to have us. And they're the ones who look at you and say, you mean you don't go to doctors? What would they say if we said to them, you mean you don't trust God? Look at what God said he will do. What if I said to the church, which would run me off if I said it? Christians, you mean you don't trust God? Look what he said. He said here, one of his names, I am the Lord that heals you. I am Yahweh Rofikah. He said in Deuteronomy 7.15, he would remove all sickness from the midst of you. He said in Proverbs 4.22, his word is medicine to your flesh. He said in Isaiah 53 that Jesus bore your pains and carried your diseases. Matthew 8.17 says that also. Psalm 107 verse 20 said he sent his word and healed them. His word. James 5.15 says a prayer of faith heals the sick. What more does he have to say to a sleeping church? Are we so used to talking about sickness and death and decrepitness and old age and you know, I'm going to build you an old... Are we so used to the stories that people tell us about all the aches and pains and the sudden diseases that come that we're just resigning ourselves to that? Our God doesn't think we have to. The Almighty God, Shaddai is often translated Almighty. The Almighty God says you ought to look to him as your physician. He is your curer. He is the one who makes you well. Your 91st Psalm said, no evil shall befall you, no plague. The word plague is, really has to do with an incurable ailment, whether it's cancer or some other diabetes or strokes or heart disease or all the maladies that people talk about all the time. That's why you need sometime when they start these commercials out, quit listening to that stuff. Turn it off. I don't want to know the seven deadly danger signs of nothing. I would have said anything, but nothing. I don't want to know what the symptoms are. I don't even want you to give testimonies about, well, I was having this last night and this. Don't even tell it. We've been given something better. Bonnie told me about a message she heard the other night. I haven't got over this yet, but I thought it was a great, one of the great things I have heard. If what you say, God wouldn't say amen to it, don't say it. If you say, I'm just a poor old wore out, weary, sick, laden, so something or another, walking through this world, don't know where I'm going to go, how my next meal is going to come, or what I'm going to do about tomorrow if I get a pink slip. Don't say it. I didn't say there wasn't reality to the world system. I just said there's another world we've been brought into, another kingdom that is higher than this world. And the old things pass away. The Almighty God says, I want to be your doctor. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We talk about all these years. We've been delivered from medical bills and aspirins and painkillers and everything else or throat lunges, as we've just been delivered from. I guess I've gotten real narrow about it. I believe God heals. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not going to apologize that for all these years we haven't had any bills, medical bills for, who back in the early, early, earliest 70s, maybe 71 or 2 or 3. It's been maybe 40 years. Should I not say it? Should I not preach it? I can tell you to trust the Lord that he heals because I do and he does. And that what he's done for me, he didn't do it because I'm a preacher. I'm just a, I'm a chief of sinners when it came to the kind of person I was. I'm less than all of you. But I have what you have and I have the opportunity to get what you can have, faith. And God is no respecter of persons. And when he says, I'm the Lord that heals you, he'll heal anybody that comes to him and believes him and trusts in him. Anybody? Well, I'm talking about saved his own people. I'm not talking about somebody in the world trying to get healed. 
Look at Psalm 103. That's the brown page where your thumb has been a lot. Listen to me, all of you. Quit getting used to. Quit getting acclimated, accustomed to drugs. God has one pill, one pill that supersedes all pills. It's called the gospel, the gospel. And it has the power to change it all. Amen. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and in the same breath. The church put a period right after that, and they forgot the rest of this. But the rest of it says, He heals all our diseases. Does he or not? Now, does he only do it in America where we got a good health care system, or could he do it in the jungle? He could. He can. I remember my trip to Ecuador years ago. Coming towards the end of the trip, people were not feeling good. And this is not a boast. I'm just saying, I want to thank you, Lord, that I can eat whatever is set before me, and nothing shall by any means harm me because you said and I ate it, and I never had the problem. Well, didn't you get that? Didn't you get that? Well, no, I didn't get that. I don't want that. I didn't even want it. I want everything to be as it's supposed to be. And when things aren't the way they should be, I want to go to my source. I want to go to Yahweh, Rofika, and I want to say, Dr. God, you have said, and you have stated in your word, and I have heard it preached, you have said that you are the Lord that heals me, and I'm a candidate now, and I ask you to apply to me what you've already given to me. All my needs are met, and I ask you now to just manifest it. And if I have to walk this out a while, doesn't matter, because he will. He will. Hold on. He will. Because one of his names is I am a healer. Take another name here. Take Psalms 23. You've been there? That's another one of those wonderful places, Psalms 23, another covenant name, another name you can depend on and rely on in your wanderings through this life. He says, the Lord is my, there's two ways to say it, Roi or Ra'ah. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, what does that mean? Well, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd watches over sheep. His responsibility is to take care of them, to make sure that the enemy doesn't come in and capture them. He is to make sure they don't overgraze, and if they get where the grass is not good, he leads them to a greener pasture so that they can graze there and make sure they're close to water. And he is very alert and watching over his sheep at all times because he cares for them. That's the way God is. It's a picture that God uses, that the Bible uses, to show us how God relates to us. This is what he does. He solemnly picked you out of a sorry world, out of the miry clay, the psalmist said, and he put your feet in his courtyards, and he and established you up on a rock. And he put a new song in your heart, and he made promises to you that I will never leave you nor forsake you. We'll get to that in a minute. I'll take care of you. We've already said that. I'll provide for all of your needs, and I'll lead the way for you. I like that verse, my favorite Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye upon thee. Oh, man, because I don't know where to go. Do you know where to go? Not only is the world full of woe, but God made us to need you know that? We were made to need, to be poor in spirit so that we always turn to God and we always need more of what he has. We never get too much of it. And he says, you turn to me and I'll take care of you. Look in Psalm 23. There are, what, 13 things at least, 13 things that the shepherd does. This is all in his name. This is what he does. First of all, he says, I shall not want. Isn't that good? What would we cry about then? God has supplied all of my needs. I shall not want. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures too, and he leads me beside the still waters. That just shows you that God can lead you in a peaceful way without consternation. When you follow him, Number four in verse three, he restoreth my soul. He makes me new. He remakes me. Isn't that what he does? Be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He that started a good work in you will finish it. God never leaves you alone because he is always changing you from glory to glory to glory. And he says, he restores my soul, and he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, I will fear no evil. The shadow of death in the valley where it lies is somewhere in everybody's life at some point. It's an inescapable fact that it is a point that a man wants to die, but you do not have to die afraid. It does not have to be a dreaded moment in your life to leave this world. Paul said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. It's important for you to me stay here with you, but I'd rather go. And it's a good thing this morning that God doesn't give us a choice whether we want to go or stay here, because this place would be one less empty. I said, Bonnie, do your best, but I'm gone. She said, I'm going with you. Okay. He said, I will fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. Thy rod and thy staff, and there's meanings to that, they comfort me. My table in life, my testimony is going to be prepared in the presence of mine enemies. They're going to see the glory of God. They're going to see your testimony. They're going to see God take care of you, and they can't do anything about it. You anointed my head with oil. You make a difference with me. My cup runs over. That's abundance. Surely your two buddies will follow you all the days of your life. What if I told you this morning that when you came in here, if I'm talking to you, I know I'm, I'm believing for myself. When I came in here this morning, a little crowd came with me goodness and mercy for what they look like. I know what they do. I can't tell you what they look like. Surely goodness, not badness, but goodness and mercy shall follow me on Sunday mornings. All the days. You mean it's better than just Sunday morning? Oh, it is. All the days of my life. Think of this, all your days, God assigns goodness and mercy. And concerning you, the psalmist said, he gives his angels charge to keep you. Man, we have to smile. God forbid that we would ever, for the rest of our lives, listen to these kind of things and just kind of, I don't know about that, because there's something wrong. God's knocking on the door and nobody home. He has made me glad. How does he make me glad? Through this word. This is what he's promised to do. This is the word that God said he watches over to perform. And nothing is too hard for him, whether in America or in Brazil. Doesn't matter where you are. Or Maryland, for Rudy's sake. Glenn Burney. He can do it all. What did he say in John 10? He said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. I lead them out. I bring them in. And our shepherd said in Isaiah 49, I have graven you on the palms of my hands. And a mother with a nursing child could forget her child sooner than I could forget you. Because as, as your shepherd, I picked you, I chose you, I brought you to me, and I'm going to keep you with me. And while I'm keeping you, I'm going to change you. Trust me. And when I get done with you, I'm going to say, well done. Because he's God. He's our shepherd. And people tell me today, oh, we need a, a human shepherd. Well, there's plenty of them around, but I'd much rather have the eternal one as my shepherd. Another one. Would you turn to Judges chapter 6 where Gideon built an altar? And God spoke to him. Well, it's a wonderful story. It's a temptation to read Judges 6, but we'd take all of our time. I do that a lot, so I'm used to it. But 
in Judges chapter 6 and verse 24, then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord, and he called it, here he says, Jehovah Shalom. That's our word for peace. Did you know that God has promised you peace? Peace. His peace is based on his assurance of his honesty and his oversight of his word. He does what he says. Don't worry about it. I like that. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good, Isaiah 55, 11. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. How can he do that? Because he is God. He can do that. Remember the story? We mentioned it last week. The old the prophet was surrounded by an army, and he wasn't even concerned about it. He was, he was at peace. Gehazi, his servant, came in and said, Oh, Master, Master Elisha, there's a, there's a huge army surrounding us. What are we going to do? He didn't even go outside to look. He didn't even see them. The old prophet did in the Bible. doesn't say he did. He's probably sitting in there with his inkwell writing something down that God showed him the right. And he said, Lord, open his eyes. And the same message is for the church as I speak at this moment. We need our eyes open to see what God is doing. And when that man had his eyes open, that wonderful operation of God upon a man's heart to where he can see beyond the flesh and the natural and the physical and the monetary, he begins to see what God is doing. He walked out there, and he saw the angels of the Lord all about that place. He lost his fear. Sure, the enemy was there. They hadn't gone anywhere, but there was something greater than their enemy there, and it was God. I can see old Gehazi. I, I like the story. He looked out there. What y'all doing? He wouldn't say that. But he saw what God had provided, and he wasn't scared anymore. God even made the whole army blind. Can he do that? He can do that because he is God. He took people that came to, on a mission to capture, maybe destroy this old prophet. And the old prophet just be blind for a season. And they, they no longer could see. The army couldn't fight. They couldn't see. Because God can do that. That's who we go to when we pray. That's who we talk to, this same God. He's the one who said, come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need that you might obtain mercy. God wants you to be at peace about all the warnings you have in this world, sickness and disease and death and dying and money and jobs and, and all the things that people get all to. Be at peace with God about all of that. I cast all my cares upon him. I lay all of my burdens down at his feet, and any time I don't know what to do, I cast my cares upon him. Didn't the Bible say that? To cast your cares upon him. This is who we serve. This is who in this room this morning said he would meet with us. Oh, it's a wonderful thought. You know, God is omnipresent. What about Jesus? Where two or more are gathered, he's there. Well, we're more than two. Would he be here? Amen. What about the other groups that are meeting in Jesus' name? Is he there? Well, how could he be there and here? No, he's here first. He's anywhere in the world where his people are gathered. He is there in the same degree of might and power as he is anywhere else looks at people's hearts, knows people's hearts. Nothing escapes his attention. He knows everything about every one of us. So tolerant, so long-suffering towards us. Long-suffering is another word for mercy. He's just so long-suffering. And he just comes down to the level of people like us, and just a little flick of his anointing pops in a service. It's enough. 
and he begins to show us who he is. And we don't deserve this. We don't deserve any of this, but he begins to describe himself to us and begins to disclose himself to us and says, come unto me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden. Come and you'll find rest into your souls because I will give you a solution and it'll bring peace because I can do everything I said I could do. Man, we ought to be the most joyful people in the world. No wonder people dance or used to. No wonder we raise our hands and worship and get excited, or we should. No wonder we run. We don't have a lot of room to run anymore like we used to, but no wonder we used to run because it's real. God is real. Everything he says, he will do. Another word is in Jeremiah 23, 6. It's a hard-to-pronounce word, but, oh, what a wonderful thing it means to us. He said in Jeremiah 23, and verse 6, that God is our Sidkenu. You like that? He says, I am Yahweh Sidkenu. T-S-I-D-K-E-N-U. What does that mean? Well, he's your righteousness. He's your righteousness. Say it like this about righteousness, because we're used to that word. He, Jesus... He enables us to stand before God without sin. You think of that. He alone enables you to stand before God without sin. He alone could cleanse you. He alone could pay the price for your sins, and he did it. And because you turn to him and trust in him, God accepts you in his presence the same as he accepts Jesus. In fact, you're at his right hand, are you not? In heavenly places. A part of the deal. Now you compare that with the Pharisee in Luke 18. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a publican. And the Pharisees stood thus and prayed, I thank thee, God. See, to the Pharisee, I have a right to appear before God because I compare myself with the rest of all humankind as I see it, and I'm way above them. And if anybody had a right to come before God, I do because I tithe, I fast, I do this, I do that, I pray, and I'm not like this, this publican. I thank you I'm not like him. He doesn't have a right to be here, but I do. And the Bible said the publican could not even so much as he was like me and you. Once the revelation of your sinfulness hits you, and once it's your soul declares to your mind how loathsome you really are to God, you self-righteous braggart, you indifferent whatever, oh, he couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. Don't even deserve to look up where God is smote upon his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man went down to his house righteous, made right. His approach to God was on the basis of nothing but the merits of Jesus Christ. And I am here because of Jesus. And I humble my heart before you because I don't deserve to be here. I'm not worthy of this, but you're treating me as you would treat Jesus because I have believed in him. Your righteousness, 1 Corinthians 1.30, he has made unto us four things. One of them is righteousness. We couldn't be righteous without him. My righteousness is based on nothing but what Jesus did. I'll tell you all again, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't. I was never good enough, and I'm still not good enough, but he was. And God said, if you believe in him, I will take your sins as far as the east is from the west, and you will be cleansed, and you can stand before God justified, just as if I'd never sinned. And your approach to God is always in a humble way. You never go in there like a Pharisee. Hey, what's happening up there today? You never do that. It's always coming before God as a privilege. 
not as a beggar, but as a privilege. I come before you, Lord, and I give you thanks this morning for Jesus Christ, in whom I live and move and have my being, who is made unto me that which is necessary for me to come before you. He is my righteousness. He is the one mediator between God and man. He is the one, the lamb, who took my sins and died in my place so that I could stand before the Lord, Jesus. And my righteousness, folks, has nothing to do with self. It's all about God. Remember this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Never take for granted when the Bible calls us as the righteous ones. Never take it for granted that you deserve it because you don't. But God treats you that way. You're reckoned, considered to be like that because of your faith in God. And that's the only reason, your faith. I believe. I don't deserve. I believe. Because, again, think of it. The Almighty God who is holy has said, come to me on the basis of Jesus Christ. On the basis of Jesus Christ, the Holy One. You come to me through him, and I will accept you. You don't accept me, I accept you. Amen. Or another one is in Isaiah 43, God calls himself Yahweh Shammah, which means the Lord is there. And we know today that application is that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He is at all times everywhere. There's no place that he isn't. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. How long? Even when? To the end of the world. Do you know this? That according to that promise, Hebrews 13, 5, you're never alone. Not when you're out shopping, not when you're out watching something, acting some way, wearing something, thinking about some spicy thing. You're never alone. Everything's remembered. No wonder the fear of God is such an awesome thing. The Bible said, by the fear of the Lord, man turns from evil. By the knowledge of God, man is delivered from all the things he wants to do because his flesh would get him in trouble, so he crucifies it. And he says, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I know he's here. He's present. He's listening to me. He's listening to your thoughts. Didn't he say last week he knows your thoughts, every one of them? He did. If you didn't listen, he did it. He knows your thoughts, every one of them. How can he do this? He's God. He made you. He's in charge of the whole universe. And then, finally, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, God is our banner. God is our Nissi. His banner over us, the song says, is love. The banner is like an ensign. The word ensign means banner, as it's used in the Bible. It's a place where God's people gather. I've seen people in airports coming off of airplanes through the years gone by. Thank God that's behind me coming out of airports and seeing people stand there with signs, you know, with somebody's name on the sign. Because they don't know what they look like. They don't know who they are. But they hold the sign up so the person who comes off the plane, they know they can come to this person because this is where they belong. Well, God holds the sign up for us. The Bible says, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That's Jesus Christ. We'll find him because he will reveal himself to us. And where two or more are gathered, that's where he is because his banner, his signature presence is there. And he's here. I would like for you to look at one verse of Scripture, Isaiah 11 and verse 10. The Bible says that God has given a banner to them that fear him, that it may be displayed because of the truth. That's our testimony. We have been with the Lord. Isaiah 11, verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign or a banner of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and the rest shall be glorious. That's what's happened to us. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
His light is Jesus. He's the focal point of all scriptures. As Jesus said about the scripture, he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. Well, they testify of me. It's all about Jesus. And when God identifies him and begin to see him, that's where the heart wants to go. He's the rallying point. We're here today because one thing we all have in common and one thing special that all of us have in common today is Jesus. Now, you may not know him this morning. You can. You probably will. But the one thing that drew us here together today was Jesus Christ. It's supposed to. We didn't come to look at Caleb's new tie, <laughs> did we? Or Wesley's. Front row gets it every week, don't they? We came because I need to draw nigh to Jesus. We'd probably say, I'm not doing as well as I should do. I'm not doing as well as I could do. I need to do better. And God, just deal with my heart this morning. Well, he does it by saying, this is who I am. This is who you get to come to. Nothing's too hard for me. I can supply every need you have, and, and I've got you in the palm of my hand. Don't you worry and don't you fret. Don't you fall back and become weak. And don't you faint. Don't give up. I didn't call you to quit. Put your hands on that plow. Hold there. Follow me. But there's stumps in there. Of course there's stumps. That's why you have to call upon me. There's a stump in my way. Then there's a rock on the other side. Well, good. Keep calling on the Lord. We'll get through the stumps and the rocks of life. And somewhere on the other end, you'll put your hands on your knees, and, and he'll say, well done. he go, is it over? I say, yeah, you made it. You didn't look back. You stumbled a few times, but you didn't look back. I showed you through your life how much you need me, and you turned to me, and look where you came. You're still here. Praise God. God delivers you from the swine flu. Because you don't need it. don't have to have it. It's not necessary. It's not important. It's not a requirement. It's not a part of your growth. In closing, when you get to the New Testament, you talk about names. The Bible makes an astounding statement about names. The Bible said this about Jesus. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him, highly exalted him, and given him a name that is above all names. So everything that God was in the Old Testament by name, Jesus is even more. He's more. And he said that at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things in earth and of things under the earth, that the power that is in the name of Jesus affects not only the heavens but the earth and beneath this, this earth. One name has so much power because the Almighty God has assigned power to his name. That's why in James 5 he said, they shall lay hands on the sick in the name of the Lord. It's why Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God the Father by him. That's why they baptize him in the name of the Lord, because the power is in the name which describes the one that God has exalted above all that is and ever shall be. In Ephesians 1.21, you read it again, that at the name of Jesus, we can do all things. That's where our power is, because that's where the description of all that God is and has assigned to us through his word to receive. It's in his name. So when we sing songs about Yahweh Rofikah, he's your doctor. He's never lost a case. He's never made a mistake and never been weary. He didn't even have to pass the test to get his license. He's God. He is able to subdue your most harsh surroundings and the most difficult moments in your life and the most fretful times you know and give you peace. Because your testimony as you walk through this life is that I know in whom I have believed and I have found him to be everything he said he was. 
and that's your testimony and others to say this hope that you have in you doesn't the Bible says be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of this hope that's in you where'd you get it it came from God hope is expectation you expect to be healed peaceful needs supplied shepherd taken care of you do you expect that it's yours amen Heavenly Father we thank you this morning in the name of Jesus for all the goodness you've given to us and all these promises that you have made all these descriptions that you have given in your word about who you are and what you will do and all of this is for us all these things that you have said Lord you have said to us and this is how you want us to respond to you and to treat you this is how you want us to relate to you and to know you I pray Lord for the peace that the prophet had when he saw the work of the Lord I pray that our eyes will be open to see the wondrous things in your word I pray that the faith that brings all this to pass will come into our hearts because we hear your word and receive it. My prayer, God, for us as a congregation of people here is that your work would be so deep and so thorough in us that you would change us completely, that we live like disciples of Jesus Christ. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty And I will say to the Lord He is my refuge fortress my God in him will I trust and I will say to the Lord he is my refuge and my fortress my God in him will I trust he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the Lord.